Welcome to Snape Chat, the voice of the Snapedom, the podcast where we discuss all things Snape, always. Join us as we dive into the world of the bravest man we ever knew in art, fanfic, meta, and more, obviously. This is Snape-centric with episode 20. In this episode, I sit down with author Arisha to discuss her writing, including the most popular snarry fic ever, The Syntax of Things. And Megs reads passages from this awesome work. Enjoy the show. This is Snape-centric, and I'm here with author Arisha. Hello. And thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, certainly. I'm very excited to have you here because I really love your fix. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Well, uh, the fandom knows me as Arisha. That's my nickname. I guess I can say my actual name is Christina. I'm 28 years old. I live in Greece now. Uh, what else? I'm a Slytherin. <laughs> I have a son. He's 15 months old now. I have nine cats. <laughs> a proper crazy cat lady. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I have uh, much more to say. Like my my life is not very exciting. Yeah, that's it. Okay, great. How and when, when did you become a Snape fan? Well, uh, I became interested in Snape's character. I think almost as soon as I became a Harry Potter fan, which was uh, almost twelve years ago now. It was uh, summer 2010, I think, and I was looking for something to read. And a friend of mine suggested the Harry Potter series. And honestly, I didn't think I would like it because I didn't know much about the Harry Potter world. But uh, I thought it was a book for kids and I thought it'd be boring. Um, I didn't see why I'd like it. Anyway, I gave it a chance and <laughs> I fell in love. Uh, to this day, I can't explain why the Harry Potter world uh, fascinated me so much, but I always saw so much potential in some characters. I mean, there's this huge imaginary world with it, with its customs, traditions, creatures, laws, and we only get a very brief glimpse of it through Harry's eyes, really. Like, we don't get to see much about all of this world. We have these seven books that focus mostly on Harry's experiences and fears, his own battles, emotional and physical, with uh, Voldemort. But there is so much more in this world that we never get to explore in canon. So many interesting characters as well, like uh, that we barely get to know, like Snape. Snape is a very good example of that because he's uh, very complicated as a character, but we only see him through Harry's very limited point of view, you know, like just the teacher, the main teacher that doesn't like Harry. And throughout the series, we don't know him as a person at all until he chooses to share something of himself with Harry in the seventh book by showing him his memories. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd say I became a Snape fan when I realized how complicated he is and how many layers there are in his personality. But I have to say that I don't think J.K. Rowling intended to make him as deep as the fandom considers him. Like, sometimes in literature and pop culture in general, characters end up evolving by themselves, or thanks to the fans even, in ways that even the original author may not have initially anticipated. And uh, I believe Rowling's intentions were quite simple with Snape, like his story, at first glance, is something we've seen before many times. It's nothing new. It's the evil guy who becomes good, or the person who makes a big mistake and ends up changing sides because of love, or... Uh, 
the tragic anti-hero who regrets his mistakes when it's too late to fix them and then tries to make up uh, for them. These are very common tropes that we've seen before in all sorts of media, if you think about it. What's, uh, in my opinion at least, what's special in Snape's case, it's not the tragic love or the wrong decisions or any of that. I think I think that's a very one-dimensional way to perceive him, like at the beginning when you first read the books. I think what's special about him is how the fandom took this character, that is essentially a character from a book for kids, and seeing the potential in him, analyzed and studied him to the point where Snape became so much more than what he initially was. Like, for example, there is so much debate about whether his love for Lily was genuine or toxic, or about whether it was love or whether even if he was obsessed with her, whether he would have switched sides had it not been for her death. Once then to argue, and both sides have pretty good arguments, and like even if, even if, even about whether Snape was redeemed, for example. And I love all that. I love that a character can be so complicated that people can straight up love or hate him. That fascinated. Yeah. Okay. That's how I became a fan. Uh (laughs) Oh, that's great. All right. What do you like best about him? I I like all these layers that I mentioned. I like that we can see him and I, I, I like how fans can take this one character and see many different things in him. How we can see him as someone who actually gave his life for love and dedicated his life uh, to this task to be redeemed, basically, for Lily's sake or even to be forgiven by Lily in the end. I like that he has a very bad temper, which is very good to write, very interesting to write. I like his layers. I like that he's a character that uh, has sparked so much debate in the fandom. And you see people hating him and being so, so against him. And you can also see people that are actually in love with him. And I I get all of that. I get both sides, to be honest. Uh, That's what I like the most about him. That He's not a character that you can easily decide on, like, who he is and what he wanted in canon and how he felt, even. Mm -hmm. How long have you been a writer? Oof. uh, I've been writing as long as I remember. Like, even when I was a kid. I remember when I was... I think seven or eight years old, I wrote this story about uh, a banana who left its banana tree to go on adventures. And like I always liked writing, but um, I never saw it as something I could do, you know, professionally. It was always uh, some sort of hobby or an outlet for me to just, you know, let go of my emotions and um, have fun, basically. Like as nerdy as it sounds, having fun by writing. Like, it was my form of entertainment all my life. I really liked it. Even in school, like, the teacher would be talking about something and I would have, you know, my notebook under the desk and I would be writing my own stuff, like, proper ADHD <laughs> task. But, yeah, I I always liked writing all my life. Oh, that's great. Can you tell us about your writing process? Like, how do you come up with your overall ideas? Uh, well, my my writing process is very chaotic, to be honest. Uh, most of the time, I don't even know what I'm doing. And then, like, boom, I end up with a plot somehow. 
a friend of, uh, that I met through the fandom actually asked me recently uh, for advice uh, about um, outlining and plot building. And I told her, frankly, I don't really know. <laughs> I usually start off with a very vague idea and, um, of, and, like, and also where I want the story to go. But then the story takes off by itself. Before I actually sit down to write the story, I usually spend a few months just writing random scenes in my notes or coming up with different ideas deciding on how the story is going to end, and then I write. Uh, I always write the epilogue first, so I can know what my destination looks like. Uh, yeah, I know, it's, it's a bit un unusual. I don't know if you know that quote, I think it's from Alice in the Wonderland, I'm not sure. Uh, it goes, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Well, in my experience, if I don't know where I'm going, no road will take me there. Uh, so that doesn't necessarily mean that the destination won't change on the way, like the epilogue, but I've, I've found that the writing process for me becomes much more solid and uh, easy if I know from the start how I want the story to end and how I want my readers to feel about the ending. So yeah, that, uh, that's how I usually do it. I want to make sure that I have taken care of everything that goes more in the editing process, but uh, when I write, when I first write, First, I want to make sure that I have understood the characters well, that uh, I've done them justice the best way I can. Yeah, I don't work on plot holes or anything like that when I write. I will do that more on the editing later. But yeah, I make sure to start with the epilogue. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's interesting. And do you go into a lot of detail with your planning process or? Um, yes and no. Like, um, usually writing takes me a while. Like with the syntax, I, w I was writing it for like um, six years, I think. And um, I've been trab extra, took me about three years total writing and editing. So I, I wouldn't say I go into details at first. First, I only have, you know, a very vague outline. So my, my first draft usually doesn't make much sense or is very badly written. But as, as I go back, you know, back and forth to edit, to remove, to add, then I think uh, I start adding the details and uh, the character development. It's not something that happens from the start. Okay. When you get blocked, how do you break it? Uh, <laughs> I cry. <laughs> oh. I usually go back. I go as far back as I can in my manuscript and I start over. Like um, the most important advice that was given to me uh, by a professor uh, about uh, writing was that uh, you can't walk out of a maze by only taking one step back. You need to go all the way back to get out. So if I'm trying... If I'm trying to write a scene and nothing works, and I've tested out different dialogues, different outcomes, and nothing seems to fit, and I can't move past that, then I know that the reason I can't write the scene is because this particular scene doesn't belong in the story, and I need to walk away from it. Which, it's not always fun, because very often when we write, we happen, we happen to come up with a very well-written idea, or a paragraph, or a bit of dialogue, and we become attached to it, and we really want it in the story. So... Like, we, we try to force it in the story because of how much we like that scene and how much we want it there. But that's a, that's a tricky part. I have taught myself to let go of scenes and ideas that don't want to get written, uh, essentially. I, I see writer's block as a tool now. It used to be an obstacle, but I have taught myself to see it as a tool. Like, if my brain is blocking me from writing something, then there is probably a reason for it. So I go back, all the way back, before that specific scene, 
before that entire chapter if I have to, and I just start over. Sorry, I just start over. It doesn't always work, <laughs> but sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Where does editing come into your process? I edit after I finish the first draft, and then I keep editing forever, I'd say. Like, even now, if I happen to go back and, I don't know, read a chapter of a story that I have already posted and uh, finished uploading, if I see a mistake somewhere, I'll go back and edit again, uh, even if it's a story that's already finished. But, uh, yeah, after after the first draft, which is, you know, the vague idea that I have now prepared, basically, I will go back and keep editing and editing. But because I'm a perfectionist, I try not to overdo it because uh, I'm capable of going back to a story that I finished years ago and keep editing. So I try not to do that. I edit a few times. I always edit before I post a chapter and then I edit again the day after because for some reason more mistakes pop up in my mind after I have posted the story. (laughs) So yeah, editing never ends really. I have to put a stop to it at some point, otherwise I would just keep editing forever. That's kind of like editing the show. I can (laughs) I can do it forever. I have to kind of limit myself to, you know, three or four passes do you work with a beta uh not at the moment no i find it a bit hard to work with other people uh i'm also on the spectrum so you know communicating is not my uh, my best ability so yeah i prefer to work alone i probably should find the better reader at some point because you know as as much as i like editing i can't always catch my own mistakes a second opinion is always like for the best but uh, not yet. At the moment, I'm not working with a better reader. Sure. And then what do you find most compelling about the Snape-Harry pairing? Uh, well, Harry and Snape have many similarities as characters, uh, which is very interesting to explore in fan fiction. They both come from abusive families. They have both experienced neglect, betrayal, loneliness. They've both experienced death very early on in their lives. I also find it very entertaining how different fanfic authors find different ways for her and Snape to overcome the obstacles between them and get together. Uh, we have four very big obstacles that stop Harry and Snape from becoming a couple, not just in canon, but in most fanfic stories as well. One is the age gap, uh, 20 years is a lot. It's also the questionable morality of their situation, especially in teacher-student stories. Then we also have the fact that Snape hates Harry in canon. And also the fact that in canon, they're both straight. (laughs) There's also that. So I find it impressive how authors come up with all those different ideas to break through those barriers and how they work their way through all these difficulties uh, in the pairing to make it work. (laughs) Do you write about other fandoms or pairings? No, not really. I've been wanting to write something about uh, Draco and Harry for a while now, but uh, because I haven't read many stories uh, with that pairing, I don't know, you know, what's considered cliche there, what's already been written. Um, I'm going to have to do more research first to see what I would like to write about it. But so far, no, it's just uh, Harry and Snape. Okay. You're fic, the, the syntax of things. It's the most visited snary fic of all time. When did you realize the story was so popular? Uh, when I first found out, I was a bit confused. Uh, I thought it was a glitch or something. <laughs> Uh, I kept, like, refreshing to see, is this right? Am I seeing this right? 
then when I realized that I'd actually made it to the top of the first page, I, I actually screamed. <laughs> and then I bought myself a chocolate cake immediately. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's one of those achievements that you can't just talk about in real life openly. Like, you know, I can't just put it in my CV or something. Right. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could, though. The fact that the syntax became so popular uh, definitely made me feel some pressure, though, with my next story. Because I knew from the beginning that no matter what I write, it's never going to become as popular, you know? Right. Uh, especially because Abintra Bextra isn't exactly a love story. It's more of a hate story. <laughs> and even though I personally consider it better than the syntax, I knew its audience would be much smaller. So... Yeah, it did create some pressure, definitely. Mm -hmm. Ab Extra was, Ab Intra is the previous uh, part of it. Will, will these end up as a trilogy? I'm really trying not to write a third part. I mean, I've already written it in my mind, but uh, I don't think the story needs a third part. I think it's fine as it is, so I'll just uh, try to leave it alone. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think... You left it at a very good point. Okay, and this time the story is told entirely from Snape's point of view. While well, in syntax, both Harry and Severus's viewpoints are used. What are the challenges of each approach? Well, the syntax was mostly a love story, so it felt natural to explore both perspectives as the two characters slowly felt drawn to each other and fell in love with each other. Um, I've been kind of extra... It's a very different story. I wouldn't say uh, Sinari is exactly its main focus. I'd say its main focus was exclusively Snape. So I've been kind of extra. I wanted to explore whether a harsh, toxic, abusive Severus Snape could become a better person. In that story, Snape is filled with anger, racism, prejudice, uh, bitterness. He isn't meant to be a likable character, exactly. Like, relatable, sure, but not likable. And I really wanted to explore an abuser's story from the abuser's perspective and see how I could deal with that on paper. Because it isn't just Harry who finds himself in the position of the partner who keeps making excuses for his abusive lover. It's also the readers too, and I wanted to take the readers on that uh, very strange uh, and possibly triggering journey. Because as you're reading, you'll think, yeah, it makes sense that Snape's angry. He just got out of prison. Yes, it makes sense that he's rude and he has a bad temper all the time because he can't find a job. Uh, yes, society hates him. Of course, he's beaten, etc., etc. So then you have to ask yourself, when do the excuses stop? And were these even excuses or were you just making them up for him? And then when the abuse escalates, you go back and you look at earlier chapters and you think, yeah, the potential for the worst was there all along. Why didn't I see it? Why was I defending him? Uh, it was a very difficult story to write because I love Snape as a character, but I really wanted to explore his worst side, and uh, that's what I did with the story. And uh, I didn't think uh, Harry's point of view belonged there. I think it was exclusively about Snape. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a very effective story. <laughs> Thank you. You're really excellent at portraying Severus's grouchy negative outlook. Was that difficult or, or fun to write? Maybe not so much in this last story. It's very natural to write in a way because uh, I've experienced depression myself. And depression isn't just sadness. It's also bitterness, aggressiveness, jealousy, pettiness. It's, it's all the bad emotions that people don't like to talk about. 
So, so I try to use my own personal experiences in a way when I study fictional characters, and um, I've found that it really helps, especially with uh, Snape's negative outlook. I enjoy exploring Snape's pet side because it's something that I don't see often in fan fiction, but it really does fascinate me how immature and angry he can become sometimes, how imperfect and uh, dysfunctional he is. <laughs> Your fix have a delicious push-pull between Harry and Severus. Does their dynamic fascinate you? Uh, certainly, yes. I really like uh, the way they both have anger issues in different ways. They have bottled up anger and uh, they have experienced injustice in the world in different ways. And I really like how, even though they come from like a very similar background, as I said, with childhood abuse and all that, they made very different choices in life. Like, Harry could have turned to the dark side with everything he's been through, but he never did. Uh, Snape, on the other hand, made his bad choices, uh, regretted them uh, to an extent. Uh, it's very interesting to see how two characters with so many similarities and also so many differences between them, uh, how they can fall in love or hate each other or both sometimes. Um, yeah, it does fascinate me, definitely, as a, as a dynamic. And from the very beginning, when I discovered fan fiction, it was the only pairing that interested me that much. I, I tried reading um, uh, Snape and Hermione and Snape and Lily. Like, I, I see the potential, and some stories are very, very well written and amazing, but um, no, it didn't do it for me exactly. I didn't feel it inside me as I feel it with uh, Harry and Severus. Okay. You've been writing Snary for a number of years. How do you think your writing has changed over that time? I love it because um, especially when I first started writing, uh, the first story I ever posted, I have done my best to delete it from the internet now. I hope no one ever finds it. Uh, it was, uh, I don't know, about 10 years ago, maybe more. It was very badly written, like huge plot holes, many grammar mistakes. My English wasn't very good back then, so... Uh, even though it was a bad story, it taught me things. You know, even our mistakes or our very first, you know, baby steps are still part of the journey. And I don't regret writing it, but uh, <laughs> if I happen to read it now, I think I'll just cringe so much. Um, yeah, I, I definitely got better. And I learned to give myself more time to think over my decisions when I write a plot with uh, see what works and what doesn't work because sometimes you know you just want to write a story and you have this idea and then you just want to force it in there because ah oh, that's my idea i really want this idea to work and it doesn't always work so what do you do then um yeah i, I learned to listen to the characters more and instead of forcing them toward the direction that i want them to take i you know, sometimes I just sit back, they do what they want, I obey, I write it down, and whatever comes out of it, yes, sir. Like, it's not always up to me anymore. Uh, but yeah, my very first stories were definitely bad, very bad. Oh. Um, <laughs> but it's fine, it's, uh, it's part of the journey. I was very young, um, my English wasn't good, like, it, it's, uh, it was my first step into fan fiction. So yeah, I, I will cherish it <laughs> as that. Uh -huh. All right. Megs has read a couple of passages from your work, and I was just going to go ahead and play them. We can listen to them. Perfect. 
these are two chapters from the syntax of things. The first one is chapter 37. The Syntax of Things by Arisha Read by Green Meg Snowham Chapter 37 To Be a Fool Fixations Ready, Potter placed his glass of water on the table and nodded. Focus. Legilimens. You should meet him, said Hermione. Cold air pierced his skin as the Dementors reached him. Dumbledore smiled at him kindly. Severus stopped, and Potter dropped on his knees, his hands buried in his hair. You lost control, Severus said. I lost control, Potter repeated, looking up from the floor angrily. I've been succeeding at this for the past two hours, and you haven't made a single remark. But now that I'm dizzy, I lost control. I can lie to you if you want me to, Severus said, as he dropped on the couch. But it wouldn't do you any good. Your arrogance would only grow. Potter's self-esteem couldn't possibly fall lower, but it wasn't Severus's business to know that. Or worry about it. Still on the floor, Potter rested his back against the couch and nudged Severus's knee. Sawed off. Ah. And that would be... That would be no points from Gryffindor, because you're not supposed to be with a student after midnight and it'd be suspicious. When had Potter become so cheeky? Perhaps a spanking was necessary after all. He shrugged off the terrifying thought and drank the rest of Potter's abandoned water. Do try and remind yourself what you've just said tomorrow morning. I'll take those points the moment I see you. Potter laughed breathlessly. His shirt was damp again. You think I'm getting better? He knew he was. He was just fishing for compliments. Your little trick seems to be working, Severus admitted, utterly unsatisfied for having to do so. Silently, Severus watched the fire crackle in the dimly lit room. He needed a shower. And privacy. Who taught you legilimency? The people he hated. The interactions between them and him on a daily basis and the need to protect himself from the stupidity of the world. Dumbledore requested to know everything and the Dark Lord's madness to have it all. On second thought, I'm self-taught. Potter's head turned and he looked at him quizzically. Really? I had to. And you have to, too. You think Dumbledore doesn't know that I come here? He brought the hem of his shirt up and wiped his jaw. Facial hair was not something Potter had a few months ago. A fade line was now beginning to take shape. He knows, Severus assumed. He loves the games people think that they play behind his back. Don't fool yourself by thinking you're getting away. He's not the headmaster only for the sake of offering you lemon drops. Potter's head dropped on Severus's knee, and Severus had to keep himself from flinching. Loath though he was to admit it, it became harder and harder to protest against every line Potter was crossing. He should have stopped this long ago, and he hadn't. Crimes already done could only be accepted. When are we going to practice again? For there was not a crime, there was not a dodge, there was not a trick, there was not a swindle, there was not a vice which did not live by secrecy. Potter was all of that. He considered the question as Potter moved even closer until his body was pressed against his leg. He certainly didn't think the boy needed daily practice anymore. Once a week was the best they could afford in secrecy. 
Once again, he cursed himself for being too reluctant to instantly inform Dumbledore when this began. It would be worse if he did now. Let's just be pleased that you did well today, he said. A 16-year-old boy should think of more insignificant things than sealing his mind. What did other boys his age think? Sex, Severus supposed, although his own adolescence was too distant to be sure. He certainly was not the average role model of how teenagers behaved. On second thought, Potter had to be thinking of sex as well. Not when he was in this room, hopefully, if Merlin was merciful enough. An optimistic voice echoed inside his mind that Potter had already forgotten last summer's madness and had moved on. The head still resting on his knee told him otherwise. The fact that Severus's pillow smelled like him was another reminder of the man he once was and the depraved beast he had now become. His many years of rage and bitterness told him that if he wanted to get rid of something, he could do it easily. If Potter was still clinging to him, it was because Severus had allowed it to happen. I don't want this. He jerked his knee as though shooing away an annoying fly. Go. Potter stretched and stood. You sure? What? Severus glared at Potter, feeling lost. Potter chuckled and shook his head. Never mind. Night, sir. It had become a fixed attitude, a second nature one would assume. Potter was finding his way to his chambers more and more often. There were no excuses or apologies anymore. He'd knock on the door, and Severus would open to meet thin air and feel the swift of fabric slide past him and into the room. The fabric of a cloak that once belonged to James Potter. James Potter, whose son was happily inviting himself over into his private space whenever he could whose son had somehow beat the odds, become the chosen one, and now lived and breathed only to mercilessly skin Severus from his right mind. He surrendered because fighting would only make this harder. He held the door open again and again, waiting for the boy to throw off the cloak and give a cheeky smile, or a sad glare, or both. Legilimency, he told himself strictly, was the reason the boy was there. The reason Potter's scent was rubbing off on his carpet and his couch and his own clothes. It took a lifetime to perfect his attitude towards evil, but evil had formed itself around him so slowly he had barely noticed it until he could breathe no more. Interesting how this particular evil looked nothing like the evil he'd known and fought and too long ago had adored. This was new, painfully new to him, and it came with the feel of soft grass and the warmth of the sun over his face and heart. It came with the scent he had chosen to name Harry, although it would be wiser to name it danger or sadness or even loneliness or pain. He accepted all of it and watched it grow around his lungs like a climbing plant with sharp spikes and poisonous roots. His hate was keeping him alive. I need another parchment. You've filled the first one. No, I'm going to rewrite it. First drawer on the desk. Potter nodded and got up from the couch. He returned with two spare parchments and began to rewrite his paper. It's going to be the best essay of the year, just so you know. Pity I'm not going to grade it, then. Severus turned the page of the book he was reading. No, I mean it. You just wait and see. You may be the next Destoyevsky, for all I care. You should have turned it in two weeks ago. We are three chapters ahead of this already. I regard whatever you're writing there already invalid. Jerk. 
Watch your tongue. Yeah, insolent whelp. I saw Hagrid today. For although there were other adults in Hogwarts absolutely willing to shoulder the Golden Boy's angst, it was Severus who got lucky enough to actually have the honor. An unnecessarily large amount of possible explanations came to his mind, and he was momentarily stunned at the assumption that Hagrid's hideous beast collection was probably less dangerous for the boy than Severus. He said I'm never out of the castle anymore, and he thought I was angry with him, because I stopped visiting him. Fascinating, sneered Severus. There was a reason he disliked teenagers. They were full of misleading hormones, false assumptions, and wrong decisions. Were your decisions better? They most likely were. He made up for his errors. Most of them. There were some things he could not fix, and only now he realized that they could maybe be left behind him instead. He was surprised at how distant Lily's memory had become. Potter was making him forget. Her son. Lily's boy. The creature born from her and his most hateful, worthless enemy. The proof that James had touched and kissed her and made love to her. The proof that James had managed to steal away from him the only person in the world that didn't think low of him. Welcome to the wonderful world of jealousy, he thought. For the price of admission, you get a splitting headache, a nearly irresistible urge to commit murder, and an inferiority complex. He fixed his eyes on Potter, who was furrowing his brow as he was writing his essay, and as hard as Severus tried to see Lily or James sitting there, at the far end of the couch, for once he couldn't. The pleasure of seeing Lily in those eyes, and James in the horrid behavior and cheek, the pleasure of remembering through Harry Potter had been taken from him, because there were now new things to remember. It felt like losing interest in older memories meant losing the memories themselves, as if the things he used to think of Potter in the past were now less real and important. Fuck. Severus turned his head to witness the bottle of ink spilling itself onto the cushions of his couch. He gave Potter a look that hopefully promised death and bolted up. Go on, Potter. Ruin everything while you take over my life. I don't mind. I know you don't, Potter said as he waved his wand over the mess. Do you even know how you were looking at me? You've been frowning and glaring at me for the best part of the last hour. It's not my fault I got distracted, he grinned, and was denied an answer nevertheless. Severus sat back down and decided the moment his eyes would leave his book, he'd stab them with a fork. He read a page, the contents of which completely escaped him. Read it again. He felt Potter's eyes boring into him. What is it? he snapped. Potter shook his head. Nothing you'd like to hear. Then finish your work and get lost. It's late. It's been later. Yes, do mock me. I deserve all of it. Therein lays the problem. There is this guy, Harry started. Kevin Entwistle? Do you know him? Snape waved his wand, and two glasses of water landed on the small table in front of the couch. What about him? Harry threw his cloak aside and pulled off his sweater. What do you know about him? Snape shot him a quizzical look. What do you want to know about him? I've heard he's gay. Snape raised his brow, and you somehow assumed that I might be able to confirm that. Harry opened his mouth to respond, but closed it again as Snape stepped closer. 
You might be surprised, but I do not gain any satisfaction by discussing sexual issues with my students. More specifically, I resent it. Harry could tell his cheeks were flushing red, and he dropped his gaze. Right. Shall we start? You're early. Sit down and wait. Harry took out a random school book and waited as Snape sat on the other end of the couch and went over some exam papers. After a few minutes, the silence annoyed him. You think I should talk to him? I know you don't care and I'm irritating you and stuff, but what's your opinion? What if he isn't gay after all? I'd look stupid. My opinion is, said Snape without looking up, that I couldn't care less. Pester someone else with your affairs. Not likely. There was a certain amount of embarrassment he could endure yearly, and this year's peak was already sadly close. Better embarrass himself where he was accustomed to being humiliated. He doesn't even play Quidditch. I can't just go and bother him. You can, just like you bother me constantly. Harry rolled his eyes. It's not the same. Snape didn't say anything for a few moments. Then he carefully released his breath. And why is that? I feel more comfortable around you. The coy smile he offered was ignored. Snape frowned. Your comfort equals my disquietness, I think, he said. His voice was suddenly a bit hoarse. It's only with you that I feel myself. The heaviness of the truth he blurted out seemed to click something inside him, unlocking a fear of judgment he was not aware of having. Spare me the sentimentalism, or I might vomit, Snape spat. You are being attached to whomever you can. Hogwarts has seen to it. No one stays lonely for a long time in here. Well, as close to a thank you as he would get. But Harry knew what Snape was talking about. He wasn't sure if it was the castle that was doing it, or if it had nothing to do with magic, but it seemed that there was a place for everyone here. Sooner or later, everybody fit. In these same dungeons, Snape had once believed that his place was with the Death Eaters. Had he felt the sense of belonging with them? Was he eager to prove himself to hurt people like they were? Had he hurt people? Was there really such hate, such anger inside him? Harry wondered if things would have taken a different turn if Snape had been sorted into another house. It occurred to him that at some point in his life, Snape had been proud of his choices he now regretted. What had he seen in Voldemort that made him want to join him? Harry watched the long, pale fingers as they moved over the papers Snape was grading, the quill elegantly clutched between them, the wrist covered with the tight sleeve of his coat. Had Snape ever killed anyone? Had he ever cast an unforgivable? If Harry's mum was someone else, anyone else, would Snape be glad for what happened to his parents? Would he wish that Voldemort had succeeded in trying to kill a helpless infant? And if Voldemort had succeeded, would Snape have celebrated along if Harry's mum wasn't involved at all? Harry unclenched his teeth and forced himself to relax. He couldn't torture himself over this. And he couldn't ask. Think of something else. Think of something else. He considered Hermione's matchmaking suggestion and felt rather relieved that he hadn't accepted it. Perhaps Kevin isn't gay, he said. Besides, I don't think I'm into blondes. Touché. Now let me concentrate. Harry snorted as he shook his head. He considered practicing Quidditch alone right after, but the sun was still up in the sky and Harry was already sweating. It was a particularly hot day for this early in the year. 
The hearth was unlit for the first time in months, and even Snape had unbuttoned the first button of his coat. Still, it'd feel nice to ride his broom again without the pressure of the team. He leaned over Snape's lap to pick up his glass. Snape grunted and visibly held his breath until Harry sat back on his seat. It occurred to Harry that these moments were what was keeping him sane enough for the rest of the day. And the night. Are you clearing your mind? asked Snape cautiously. I was actually thinking that this can't be replaced. Snape blinked. This? This. Harry waved his hand between them. I don't care to date someone. This is enough. And now Snape's eyes were darting in panic between his own hands. Harry wondered if he had gone too far. Give me a minute to clear my mind. You have it. Snape cleared his throat, placing aside his papers and took out his wand. Okay. Oh, that was so good. Were, were you able to hear it? Uh, yeah, very strange <laughs> oh. to hear someone reading my story. Uh-huh. Oh, I suppose it is, yes. Um, yeah, you can really feel the push-pull there, I think. <laughs> I hope so. I uh, have to admit I'm a bit shocked right now, if not um, touched <laughs> by hearing this. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh. I chose this chapter because I don't know what, Snape kind of is just seems to be realizing how deep he is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is such a good story among your all good stories. <laughs> I remember writing those uh, chapters. Uh, back then, I used to write uh, on a notebook, not uh, on my laptop. I would write uh, everything in a notebook and then I would uh, transfer everything to the computer. But uh, it, it was before I got too used to using a computer and I liked writing everything like that. And I, I used to, you know, like keep small notes um, on the side of the notebook and seeing it now being online and people liking it and but being able to just listen to it now. Uh, wow. <laughs> yes. Has anybody podfixed your, your stories? No, no, not that I know. No. Okay. It would be, it would be amazing though. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, Meg's mentioned that, that it would make a good pod fic. Uh, I wouldn't know how to go about it, you know, like, do mm-hmm. I find someone? Does someone, like, come to me? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I think it would be very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so any pod fickers out there? Yeah. Let's go on to chapter 50. The Syntax of Things by Arisha. Chapter 50. Parentheses. Of age. It's my birthday, Potter said. I'm 17, of age and all. I can use magic whenever I want now, can't I? Severus pushed the window open, surprised to see that the green hill had now been replaced by a dreary, suspiciously tranquil lake and an unpaved dirt road. Shifting locations, he remembered but he'd decided long ago that Dumbledore's words were not to be trusted. It wasn't real. Were he to jump out of the window, he was sure the delusion would immediately shatter. Would he find himself in a dungeon, as he suspected? Where is your owl? Severus asked. Potter glared. You're not going to say anything? Say, Merlin help him. Not this again. Severus traced the windowsill with his fingers. The year you were born marks only your entry into the world, he said absentmindedly. 
other years where you prove your worth are the ones worth celebrating. Potter rolled his eyes. In other words, happy birthday, Harry. In other words, have you trained? Severus threw his outer cloak to the bed and summoned a cup of tea from the kitchen. I can't focus. It's so boring here. Drives me crazy. Where were you? Tch. Severus pretended to listen as he let the boy go through the details of his first birthday cake, and every word he uttered added another burden to the tragedy that Severus's job was. He vaguely recalled a time when Potter would avoid talking to him outside the classroom at all costs, and was terrified at the realization that he simply did not mind the brat anymore. Oh well. The boy would soon be dead anyway, he remembered. He decided on ignoring that fact until the time came. Worrying too much would tear him apart and make him useless. The boy did not matter. The war did. Take out your wand and clear your mind. Potter looked up. What? Today? What for? He looked at Severus as though trying to uncover some sort of well-hidden mystery. The hilarity of his panicked face caused laughter to escape Severus, and he shook his head dismissively as he sat on the bed. Potter crawled onto the bed, too, and sat cross-legged across him on the mattress. Legilimency isn't something one can always master just because one succeeded once. It needs vigilance, hard work, training, he added. I'm not going to train today, Potter stated in a steady voice. Severus stared. Potter let out a sigh, chewing on his lip. Then he looked away. Don't say it. Don't. You will regret it. Happy birthday. As soon as he said it, he wanted to take it back. Maybe some venom could make up for it. Although you still look like a 14-year-old. Oh, sawed off. Potter shrugged and crawled closer. Too close. Severus should have better instincts when it came to dodging attacks. He thought as Potter's arms clutched tightly around his neck and Potter's face was buried into the crook of Severus's neck. Severus raised his arms as to not touch him, his mind running through the ways that he could get the little bastard off his lap without any further physical contact. Maybe with a curse. What in Merlin's name are you doing now? A chuckle warmed his throat and a hushed voice whispered, Hugging you. His heart was protesting loudly at the assault. His temper throbbed into his temples, and his tongue was nothing but a sponge. Despite himself, Severus shut his eyes as his arms finally curled around the boy, who looked nothing like a 14-year-old, and sighed. This is not to be misunderstood, he clarified. The line of misunderstanding had been crossed ages ago, though, and the hypocrisy of his weakness sickened him. Sickness. That's what it was depravity. Seventeen years of grieving and spying and pretending and teaching tightened around him, and it occurred to him that time does not like to be embraced by mortal beings. The simple pleasure of human contact, sobriety, and peace attacked him like tingly demons that desired his death. He wished for a moment of freedom, a moment to truly satisfy himself with what he had, but he knew he couldn't have it because all he ever loved was doomed to end with death and haunt him with another death and then another. Caring was wrong. He could not tell why he had to remind himself that so often. Another heart was beating against his own, 
and that affectionate embrace that enclosed him was suddenly not a hug. It was a noose. I want to kiss you, Potter said. Severus pushed the boy away in terror. There had to be a way to move past this point. He was stuck in hell, with James Potter's son. Gay son. Too gay. Too close. Severus exhaled away his panic and bolted up, ready for the fight that was assuredly on the way and coming. Why couldn't the brat just keep his mouth shut for once? Sorry, Potter said. Forget. As you can see, Severus hissed, I do forget. And you keep reminding me that I should have never forgotten. That I should have opted out of this thing months ago. Well, sorry for being honest then. As though you don't know that I think of it. What changed now? That I told you? I've told you before. Yes. And he had hoped he'd heard wrong. Hoped that Potter was confused. Wrong. Lying. Hypocrite. The little idiot. What did he think he was doing? Didn't he know that he was playing with fire? Didn't he know that he had no right? We've had this ridiculous conversation before, and let me assure you, you will fish nothing new out of it. If you are to start this again, I'm leaving. Coward. He wouldn't slap him. He would leave. Where are you going? Severus! Fingers clutched around his arm, and Severus looked at the little devil that Potter was with disbelief. The repressed affliction that the boy had been watering with his delusions had finally broken loose, it seemed. The outburst meant to burn it all down could not be postponed anymore. Don't push me away. Cause I won't go. Not like that. You can't be mad over the fact that I like you. I'm not ashamed of it. But I can't lie to you anymore. You can and you will. Please. Severus pushed Potter's hand away violently. Fuck Voldemort. He would kill the boy himself. What do you want, Potter? You want me to confess my endless love to you, drop to my knees and kiss your feet to express my wholehearted affection, cry on your shoulder for the unfairness that life is. You're seeking the wrong person, boy. Go find yourself another queer little Gryffindor and unify with him if that's what you want. I have nothing of the kind to offer you. I'm your professor. You, none of it. Every time you throw yourself at me, you only embarrass yourself further. Have some dignity and keep this idiocy to yourself. For your sake. For mine. For both, most likely. You expect me to believe that you abandoned your whole life to be here with me because you had to? You think I'm so stupid I won't see that you chose this. Or are you lying to yourself, too? You probably are here exactly because you know how I feel. I bet you love the attention. It's an obligation, you moron. For a moment, Potter looked like he might cry. Then he shook his head, and when he looked up, his eyes were cold. Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's an obligation. Maybe the only reason you agree to whatever Dumbledore asks of you is that you can't get over your remorse. For what you did. I've thought about that, you know. You'd still be a real Death Eater anyway if things were different, wouldn't you? You are a child, Potter. I regret wasting my time on you. He turned to leave, but Potter stumbled behind him, and he was soon in front of him again. There was rage flickering in his eyes. Obligation to what? Severus tried to walk past him, but Potter blocked him again. Obligation to what? 
You think it's going to change anything? You think it's going to bring her back? Enough, Severus warned him. You think it's going to bring her back, Potter repeated. Severus pushed him aside roughly and finally reached the teapot port key that laid on the floor. Before he could activate it, Potter yanked it out of his grip and threw it on the bed with all his might. It crashed on the headboard, cracked, and then rolled back to the mattress. Hate to disappoint you, Professor, but nothing will make it better, and nothing will bring you closer to her because she simply doesn't exist anymore. There was only one kind of shock worse than the totally unexpected, the expected for which one had refused to prepare. There was a feeling of disbelief that came over him. He did what he was supposed to do, which was to listen, but, in fact, he was not there at all. Another cracking sound distracted him, and it occurred to him that the teapot had dropped to the floor. He didn't care to inspect the damage. His eyes were on Potter. "'You think I don't miss my parents?' A bitter chuckle escaped Potter's throat. "'I miss them every damn day, and I can't even recall their faces. I can't wallow on it. It'd be useless. It'd be stupid. I'll never be happy for not having them in my life, but either way, I have to move on.' There was some emotion between them that had made the air thick, and Severus could only name honesty, but he was sure that honesty was not an emotion. I have moved on, Potter. Anger was useful, only to a certain point, and pouring it now upon Potter would be careless. Don't do it. Don't dignify anything he says with any response. He doesn't matter. He's nothing. But he wasn't, and Severus's rage was suddenly boiling so intensely his stomach turned. All the better. You should be thanking me on your knees for everything I've done to save your skin all these years, he hissed. For blindly risking my life for you, doing all I can to keep you sound and safe. I'm not weak, Potter. I'm responsible. I do what I must while you play the little fairy queen with your friends and make up ridiculous fantasies to fill your empty days. Potter laughed. You do what you must to cleanse your soul from the guilt. You know what? If you want to protect me out of duty or obligation or whatever, I don't care. Sure, go for it. Do it. He'll probably kill me anyway, no matter what you do, so no biggie. But I won't have you protecting me out of remorse for my mother's death. That's sick. You believe you know it all. That's what you said to Dumbledore. He asked you if it was remorse, and then you agreed to protect me for her sake. I know what I saw, Snape. Careful now. No, does anyone even know who you are? Because I'm stuck with you in this prison, and sometimes I think I have no idea at all. Why do you care? Harry blinked, the silence from the room ringing in his ears after the intense shouting. Why did he? What do you think of Voldemort? What do you really think? Do you ever admire him? Do you look up to him? End of discussion. Hell no, not again. You'll tell me. You'll tell me. Harry went on, but Snape didn't answer, and instead he merely walked to the fireplace and reached for the flu powder. Harry snatched the jar from his fist violently and threw it against the wall. Fucking listen to me, goddamn you. How can you still ask why I care? All I'm trying to say is that I love you. Harry's breath came out forcefully. His forehead was covered in sweat. With a grimace of disgust, Snape grabbed Harry's shoulders and pushed him back against the wall. With his teeth bared, he hissed so close to Harry's mouth that his breath tickled Harry's lips. 
Do so for all I care. I will not watch my life fall apart just because of this madness. You will stop bringing it up, and you'll give up on any ridiculous hopes that concern me or I'll obliviate you. This absurd obsession with my person will cease. I never wished for you to be in my life. I never wished for any of this. And what you convinced yourself you want is nothing but a desperate cry for a family you've sorrily misinterpreted for something else in your disturbed little mind. Harry snorted. Indeed, they'd done this before. Are you, though? Snape's grip tightened on his shoulders. Quite. And then Harry was pressed against the wall with a strong hand around his throat and was kissed passionately. A trembling fury made his head dizzy and his heart weak. Their mouths crashed together, and Harry moaned in shock as Snape bit his lower lip hard. Snape pushed back as savagely as he had pulled close. He looked away, hiding that pained expression Harry had seen so many times before. Harry didn't dare to talk. He waited for Snape to begin, to say something, to leave or to stay. One could always hope after all. But Snape never said a thing. He didn't have to. Harry realized he wasn't the only one trembling. Potter stepped closer, and with the softest of touches began unbuttoning Severus's shirt. Severus watched, petrified, unable to think of a protest. He wasn't gay. He never had been. Child molesters disgusted him. Whatever the boy was doing to him, it had to be dark magic. At the moment, Severus truly believed it, that the creature before him was a demon, sent to destroy him. Potter looked at him with big, innocent eyes, as though waiting for permission. He snaked his hands under Severus's shirt, and his palms pressed against his skin. Severus shivered in something that could not be anticipation, and only when Potter's hands rose to his shoulders in an attempt to take his shirt off, Severus's mind snapped into reality. Flinching away, he let the disgust watch over him along with the dread, and he departed. Oh, that's so good. That's such an intense scene. Yeah, I don't actually remember it being that intense. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to it now after so long, because I don't think I've read this in like over a year now, if not more. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Okay. What are your future plans for Snape and Harry? I'm currently writing uh, what might be my saddest uh, story yet. Oh. going to be a small, a small one, though. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Oh, no. I, I, I don't think it will be long, though. Um, I don't know, maybe 30, 40k. That's what I always say, though, and then they end up big, so who knows? Uh-huh. And after that, and, um, when I find some time, I do have uh, plans to write a bigger story again, one in uh, in three parts. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think I will post anything anytime soon because it takes me so long to write and edit and um, be confident enough to post something. So I'd say maybe in a year I'll start posting again, but uh, not yet. Okay. I guess we should mention that you just finished Dob Extra. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yes. Do you write the entire work before you start publishing? Yes, because with, uh, with the syntax, I had uh, written everything, but I wasn't sure about some things in the epilogue, and I wanted to work on that. So by the time I caught up with the epilogue, I got into this panic of like, oh, the, the epilogue isn't ready, I can't post it yet. So I postponed that for years. 
<laughs> so now the way I do it, yeah, I finish everything and then I start posting. That's why I was also posting uh, on a schedule with Abintra Abextra. I was posting every Wednesday. So yeah, first I finish writing everything and then I start posting. Okay, that's great. Where can we find you online? Well, you can find me in the archive. Uh, my nickname is uh, Arisha, and uh, I'm also on Tumblr, arisha-ao3. Uh, that's it. Like um, I use my Tumblr mostly, so uh, people can ask me questions about my stories or any uh, fan art they've made. And then I just use the archive to post my stories. I'm not very big on social media. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I didn't. I didn't put this question on, but do you have any advice for writers? Well, it's going to sound very cliche, but just definitely keep writing. Keep writing. Uh, you might think what you're writing is not good enough or that there are better stories out there. Uh, don't let any of that discourage you. Don't let any of that make you think that your story is not worth being written or, or shared. Because uh, I've, I've gone through that, like I think... Every writer, either fanfic writer or original uh, author, they, they all, we all go through it. Uh, we think, is this good enough? Should I write this? Is it worth it? Uh, it is. It is. It definitely is. Even if it's going to make just one person happy, even if just one person reads it and thinks, yeah, that story, I enjoyed reading it. I would, I'm glad it exists. Um, I think it's worth it. Like, holding back from writing something just because you don't think it's good enough it's never become good enough if you don't write it write it and see if you just think about it it's not going to write itself so right that's my advice mm -hmm. okay great well arisha thank you for joining me today thank you too for inviting me it, it was a very interesting experience never done anything like it before so thank you for the opportunity well certainly it was my pleasure so okay well, we'll just say goodbye then. Well, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed our lovely chat. Thanks again to Arisha for talking with me. And thanks to Megs for reading passages from the syntax of things. Check out the FicRex page on our website at snapechatpodcast.com for links to Arisha's works. And here we must say goodbye. We wish we didn't have to, but it hasn't escaped our notice that life isn't fair. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Tumblr and Twitter, email us, or leave a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Support us on Coffee to help defray the cost of production. Many thanks to Nix for her continued work on her website at snapejetpodcast.com. Be sure to check out Care of Magical Shippers podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay snarky.